You're listening to the City Lights Podcast. City Lights is a church located in Greenville, South Carolina, devoted to building family, blessing neighbors, and bringing good news to the nations. Thanks for joining us. Closing Palm Sunday, uh, as we kind of look on that, that, that scene of Jesus kind of moving into Jerusalem and heading towards, uh, really approaching his throne, but a throne that nobody expected, the throne of the cross, uh, we're remembering as we approach Good Friday and into Easter, um, the cross that came before the tomb, uh, and, the, and, the, and the, excuse me, the cross that came before the empty tomb. Uh, there is no empty tomb without a cross. There is no kingdom without a cross. Uh, there is no resurrection without a death. And so uh, the promise that we celebrate today in Easter and in Palm Sunday is that we will be uh, buried like him in a death like his, so we raise to him in a life like his. Um, I want to invite you guys to open up to, uh, to Matthew as we can continue on in our, in our series here um, called Jesus Messiah as we prepared uh, for Easter Sunday. Um, we've been looking at, if you're just joining us, Jesus as his three different offices. Jesus as the prophet, Jesus as the priest, and Jesus as the king. Uh, when you throw out the Old Testament, um, you don't have the problem to which Jesus is the solution. And so Jesus then becomes whoever you want him to be. He can become kind of a, a guru, or he can become kind of like a healing sage. He can become a, a justice operator. He can become a political pundit. You can make him whatever you want him to be if, if you don't have the problem to which Jesus came to solve then you'll make him a Messiah in your own image. That's one theologian said that God made us in his image, and then we return the favor. And so uh, the pursuit there in the scriptures is to understand Jesus on his terms. He says that uh, Jesus is not revealed by opinion, but by revelation, and that it's only by little children that come to him and know him. And so Jesus is the voice. He is the prophet. He is the voice in the echoes of Facebook. There are many echoes and many voices that want our attention to tell us up and down, right from wrong, but Jesus is the only true one. And everything else is an echo. And Jesus is the better priest. Uh, we need a priest. We don't just need somebody to tell us what to do next and somebody to give us a little more advice on what to do. We need a priest because we're restless. And the priest, uh, Jesus, the high priest, is the only one in the order of Melchizedek that can give healing to the land, the only one that give rest to our souls. It can't be found on Instagram. It can't be found in the American dream. We're always going to be restless, even on vacation, unless we have a priest to heal us. And we need a king. We need a mighty king because our enemies are too big for us. And Pharaoh is bigger than us, and the world is bigger than us, and the waves are bigger than us, and we need a king to deliver us from evil. And that is not a partisan king, that is a heavenly king. And that's what we're looking at today, that we would know Jesus, to see him. This is what he says, that the little children would come to me and find rest in me, because it can't be found in anywhere else. And Pharaoh and Pharisees, they work for the same people. They come to kill children. They come to abort kids in the Nile before they get raised up. But I come to save them. And if you'd come to me like a child, you'd see me for who I really am. I'm the prophet that's greater than any other voice that brings a better word than Abel. I am the priest that can actually heal you of your sin, much less your anxiety and depression. I'm the king that can deliver you from evil. I'm the one that can bring justice to the land that we would see him for who he is as the Messiah that delivers us from evil. Um, So I don't know if you guys have been following the news lately, uh, but a couple of weeks ago, um, there were some really tragic shootings that went on in Atlanta uh, that focused around uh, Asian-Americans. And, um, and it's brought up, you know, quite a stir, I guess, in the Asian community, but maybe in, in just in the human community overall, um, is the tragedy, obviously, of, of deaths, but then also, you know, the contention of the evil of, of racism, which is uh, the number of evils that we deal with that are age-old, <clears throat> as human-old. One of those is with the issue of race. And I hadn't given it much thought, but a good friend of mine sat me down at lunch the other day and asked me what I thought. I'm 50% uh, Chinese, if you're wondering. I was born 
I'm in Hong Kong, so I can't be the president of the United States, unfortunately. I know that you were hoping that that might be the case, but apparently, because I'm not a citizen here, I'm not allowed to do that. My wife is, is or my wife, uh, my mother is, uh, uh, Marsha Altmaier is as blonde as you could ever imagine in, in uh, Fort Wayne, Indiana, and the, in, in, the, in the worlds collided of destiny there at Bloomington, Indiana, where my, my mom and dad met, and that's how I came to be, I guess. Uh, but they were asking me, you know, what do I think about the Asian uh, American justice movement? And, you know, I had a lot of feelings about it. My first feeling, you know, anytime that we have kind of uh, sh- shootings, school shootings, racial, racially profiled killings and so forth, uh, the Lord always draws my heart to think about the names, you know. Delana, Ashley, Yuan, 33, Paul, Andre, uh, Michaels, Xiao, Jia, Tian, uh, Dao, Yu, Feng, Hung, Jung, Grant, Su, Cha, Kim, Soon, Chung, Park, Young, A, Yu, and LCS, Hernandez, Ortiz. I'm just led to think about the individuals. Uh, we, we've oftentimes moved beyond from the individual quickly to the societal and the, and the political, and we wanted to make it a message, and we lose track of the individuals, and I think it's helpful, no matter who it is, to pray for people and to pray for families. I mean, these are people that have lost their loved ones. And uh, I was actually a teacher one time, and there's a shooting at a school, and, and the older I get, the more I realize that we are not as safe as we think. And uh, in any, any of these moments, evil is completely, um, uh, there's no way to insulate your kids from evil. There's no way to insulate yourself from evil. There's evil all around us, all the time. And we get woken up to it every now and again because we forget and we think that we're safe and insulated, but we're really, we're really not as safe you know, as we think that we are. And so, um, and so he asked me, you know, what do you think about the <clears throat> Asian justice movement? And I thought back to my wise dad, you know, what he, he told me one time. Um, you know, I think, uh, personally, before I get to my dad, that, you know, racism is, um, is a sin of the heart before it's a sin of politics, uh, you can change the laws all you want, but it doesn't change the heart. And oftentimes we repent and relent of the crimes of racism, but we don't repent of the idol that builds the racism up. I, I believe that, uh, that racism comes through, kingdoms, through cultures and not kingdoms. And, and the culture is that there is a throne on our culture to which society overall um, puts people on pedestals. So when I was a kid, there was a couple called Brangelina. Do you guys know who Brangelina is? That was when... Uh, when I think it was even before Ben Affleck and, and Benifer were a thing, Brangelina, I think, were a thing, and that's Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie. And they're the best-looking couple in the 90s. And, you know, everybody has their little 10 minutes of fame, and there's an it girl and an it guy, and then once, you know, they get tired of them, they kick them off the throne, and they get a new it girl and it guy because the person gets too old. But this is my feeling, my understanding in my 36, whatever, 37 years, is like culture has one throne, and it can only sit one person on it. And once that person is established, then all of us are measured up against that person, not just Chinese people or African-American people, or Spanish people, we're all measured up against the idol because when somebody's made more than human, somebody else has to be made less than human. So the problem of racism and injustice isn't just the problem of laws, it's the problem of idolatry. It means that we have lifted up another image above Jesus and we compare everyone else to that image. So this is what I love, you know, cut the tension in the room that my dad always says. Uh, He says, Oliver, you know, sometimes it's hard to be Chinese in America. He goes, but you know what? It's also hard to be ugly. And he's right. In our quick identity politics, we rush to try and put people in categories. But everyone that doesn't look like Brad and Angelina suffer for it. It's hard to have Down syndrome. It's hard to have dyslexia. It's hard to be short. It's hard to have bad breath. I don't know. What's your thing? We're all handed cards, right? And I was handed a Chinese card, and that means something, you know? It meant probably 
good for me uh, in the classroom, and even though I didn't deserve it, and bad for me in the athletic place. I don't know. There's a girl named Trisha Bra- There's a girl named something that, uh, that uh, <laughs> forgot I'm on YouTube now. Um, parent, parents wouldn't let me um, date her because I wasn't white, but you know what? I end up with Kyra, so who cares? <laughs> so I see about it, right? So it's a lot more complicated. We're all handed these cards, you know? And the cards don't look like Brad and Angelina, and we didn't deal the cards. And ultimately, you know what? Brangelita didn't end up together. And they fell apart. And uh, neither did Benefer, by the way. And it's all a tricky little system that's not really run by anything but evil in the first place. You know the battle is not against flesh and blood. It's against evil and principalities. And we have a lot more in common if we put our phone down and talk to the person in front of us. You notice now it's political season. We're not hearing about justice movements anymore. And that makes me sad because the world does need justice, but politics can't bring it. And it's funny that in the political cycle, the justice stuff comes up more because the people don't care about the people. They care about the politics, and they want to use the people for their politics. But Jesus is the only one that can bring justice to the nations. The scripture we're going to read today, he's the suffering servant promised in Isaiah, and he's the only one that cares about people and not about power. He's the only one that died so that people could get saved and so that children could get rescued. And there is no justice without Jesus. And as soon as you knock down Benefer, it'll be a whole nother idol at the top of that heap. And we'll all have to measure up to that. And there's a reason we all wear jeans instead of sombreros and kimonos. And there's a reason why we eat, you know, hamburgers instead of rice. Because at one point in time, there was, there was somebody that sat on that throne other than Jesus. And we all decided, like the Tower of Babel, to try and build our name up to that as opposed to the kingdom of God. And so I want to read this uh, passage to you. It starts in Genesis, uh, uh, excuse me, where am I at? Matthew, chapter 12, if you're there. Um, it talks about Jesus as an unlikely king. And it says in verse 15, aware of this, Jesus withdrew from this place. A large crowd followed him, and he healed all who were ill. And he warned them not to tell others about him. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Me and my wife followed, and then we unfollowed because it was too obnoxious. This uh, Instagram account called Influencers in the Wild. Uh, and it's just basically um, pictures of girlfriends who get their boyfriends to take pictures that look great in the frame, but if you just see it in real life, it's just obnoxious. I mean, why are they doing that in the park or whatever it is they're doing? Um, Jesus is presented as the prophet and the priest and the king in this little series we've been doing from 11 to 12, and everyone has their little YouTube reaction to who they think that he is. Because he doesn't play the part, because he doesn't look like what goes on Fox or CNN, he doesn't fit the bill for what a king is. But he's doing king things. He's going around and he's giving, as the prophet Isaiah is going to talk about incorporated in Matthew's scripture here, he's giving out justice, but not justice in terms of like political pins or, or, or banners or, or marches or whatever. He's giving real justice, which is, which is releasing prisoners. It's healing the poor. It's cleansing the lepers. He's proclaiming the year of jubilee in, in kingdom to actually give rest. And this is what the king is doing. Everyone knows uh, that, that kings need publicity, but Jesus is, is operating in a very different nature. Look what it says in verse 15. Aware of this, Jesus withdrew from that place. It means intentional. It means on purpose. He didn't just try and avoid human kingdoms or avoid human thrones. He ran from them. In other words, that the way that he did business was, was suggesting that human kingdoms and human thrones that people wanted to put him on were not only um, a distraction, they were actually a contradiction to what he was doing. 
Uh, some of you guys are basketball fans, I know. We've got a good basketball crew over here, which I'm glad for. I always try and bring Michael Jordan into every sermon if you ever come back. Um, everything's great in episode one through three. You know, he's coming out of North Carolina, and he's got his place in the team. He's a rookie of the year, and by the way, he is the GOAT. Uh, rookie of the year, and, um, you know, he's winning the shot, the championship at UNC and so forth, and he moves on up, and he gets his foot injury, and he's overcoming. And then what happens, right around episode three or four, this is the last dance, that documentary that came out last summer, um, the same people that built up his throne start to tear him down. And it's for no other reason other than the fact that they're just bored of him being on top. This is the nature of human beings, right? The nature of hype and the nature of human politics is that just as much as humans love to build up thrones, we love to tear them down. Because somebody's too perfect for too long, and we just don't like it, and we're bored of it, and so we topple over human kids. This is what human kingdoms do. And so this is what Jesus is doing. It's not an accident. It's on purpose. He is avoiding every human throne because he knows what's in the hearts of men. And he knows that any throne that puts somebody up on a human kingdom is going to get taken down uh, in the same exact way as they were raised up. And so he's saying, I'm going to build a kingdom that's not like you. I'm going to build a kingdom that comes from heaven and not from human hands. And so he's withdrawing himself. He's actually giving justice to the nations. He's healing. He's cleansing lepers. And he's preaching the good news to the poor. And so then Isaiah explains that this is not because he's afraid, because he's obedient. This is what the prophecy had always said about the coming king, the messianic king according to uh, the Davidic covenant. This is Isaiah 50, uh, no, excuse me, 40-something, I think. I should have written it down. My apologies. But it talks about um, the suffering servant prophecy that points towards Jesus. Uh, in the Old Testament, it says, Here is my servant whom I have chosen, the one I love and whom I delight. It says, I will put my spirit on him, and I will proclaim through him justice to the nations. I'm just going to read it again because it's so good. He says, Here, world, I want you to see what authority from heaven looks like. Jesus of Nazareth will walk like me on this earth, perfect and without failure, and he will be a servant in whom I have chosen, the one I love and whom I delight. And I will put my spirit on him, and he will proclaim justice to the nations. This is the plan. This was the idea that, that Jesus was going to come and be a different kind of king. He wasn't going to be a publicity king trying to get a blue check next to his name. He's going to be a servant king. And, and serving in the public is a great political standpoint, but serving in private where nobody else can see it really demands that you think authority comes from another place. He didn't just try to avoid human kingdoms. He believed that human kingdoms were a contradiction to the very essence of what he's doing because if you're trying to build a temporary kingdom, go ahead and get people to like you. But if you need an eternal kingdom, you need an authority from another place. You need to get anointed by the Spirit. So the Israelite history is something like this, that God was king before any other man was king until man in Israel demanded that they have a king. So they... They begged that God would give him a king, and so he gave him Saul. This was the first Israelite king. And Saul was not like David because his heart was not after God. And Saul used his throne for himself rather than for giving justice to the nations or for following God. And, and what the Bible will teach us on and on and on about the nature of kings is that uh, having a, a throne and a kingdom that gives justice and lasts and endures forever is actually not about military competence, but about the character of the heart. And so the history of the kings is that the kings uh, would win and lose battles, not based on their military might, but on their trust of the Lord. How many of you guys have ever heard the story of Jericho before? How many times did the people of Israel have to walk around Jericho uh, for the tower to fall, or for the walls to fall? You guys remember? How many times? Seven. Great biblical number. There you go. Seven. Caleb knows. It's not a very fancy military strategy. I don't think General Patton's going to say, let's go walk around you know, Hitler's house seven times and expect to win the war, right? 
But it's a biblical strategy because what God was doing in that lesson of Jericho was asking whether or not they trusted they're going to win the war and that God is the one that fights the war on their behalf, but they're not going to win by swords and fighting. They're going to win it by what? By faith and trust. The very next chapter, there's another incident in Ai where there's a character, um, let's see where my notes are at, um, named Achan, um, who, as they go out to go and take this other area from the Philistines, go and fight this battle in Ai, and the same army with the same God and with the same enemies has a different result because instead of trusting God's word, they went after and tried to steal gold from their enemy. And so the statement there, the claim of, of, of biblical kingdoms is very strong there, is that wars are not won by human hands, but by God's hand for them and on their behalf. And so all throughout Israelite history, David being the highest ideal of this, the question was always, which king can deliver the, deliver the people from their enemies? Back then, you didn't have like a, you know, a three-party government necessarily, because you don't need a Congress if you have the law of God, right? You're not going to be like, oh, I have a bill on the floor. I'm going to suggest that we get rid of the third commandment. It's like, uh, no, it's already been established, right? So there's no, there's no need for new laws. <clears throat> and the high priest was the judge. And this is why Jesus says our high priest is good news, because he will uh, forgive us of all of our sins, not because we deserve it, but because of his grace, and he gives us mercy. So he is our great high priest. But they had a high priest that would basically run the judiciary. They were the ones that were to judge the people to see against the law whether or not they would follow the law, which left one important uh, question and one important role that would needed to be fulfilled within uh, Old Testament and New Testament prophecy, and that is for the king who could deliver us of evil, who could deliver us from our enemies, who could, uh, who could uh, rule in perpetuity and without falling uh, one way or to the other, not falling to their own sin, not falling to their own temptation, uh, could deliver their people justice instead of injustice. So this is the promise that Jesus is fulfilling. Let me read it to you right over here. 2 Samuel 7, it's one of the most important passages uh, that hinges you know, Old Testament into New Testament scripture. 2 Samuel 7, this is the prophet Nathaniel to uh, David, says this, the Lord declares to you that the Lord himself, the Lord himself, not you, he is the one that's going to establish your house forever. I know all the presents. One time in fourth grade, I was in detention, and I memorized all the presents, and it was great for every other trivia game I ever played. You ready? It goes like this. Washington, Adams, Jefferson, Madison, Monroe, Adams, Jackson, Van Buren, Harrison, Tyler, Polk, Taylor, Fillmore, Priest, Buchanan, Lincoln, Johnson, Grant, Haynes, Garfield, Arthur, Cleveland, Harrison, Cleveland, McKinley, Roosevelt, Taft, Wilson, Harding, Coolidge, Hoover, Roosevelt, Truman, Eisenhower, Kennedy, Johnson, Nixon, Ford, Carter, Reagan, Bush, Clinton, Bush, Obama, Biden. Boom. Trump, Biden. <laughs> Trump, Biden. Trump, Biden. I was not, not loaded. Trump, Biden. I memorized it in the 90s. Forgive me. I memorized it in the 90s. <clears throat> All of them trying to establish a kingdom of justice and righteousness forever, and none of them can do it. There is no king that can establish justice and righteousness forever. And every king up until that point and beyond that point will not be able to establish this kingdom. But the promise is that through the line and through the seed of David... Through the seed, there will be a kingdom forever that doesn't turn over by way of peaceful exchange and democratic or turn over because of Rome and Egypt and all these other types of kingdoms that continue to turn over. Uh, this kingdom, unlike those kingdoms, will give justice and will rule in perpetuity. Verse 13, he will be the one that will build a house in my name, not for the name of the Star Spangled Banner or for France or for Spain, but the name of the kingdom of God. This name will endure beyond every other name in this room. And I will establish his throne in the kingdom forever. I will be his father and he will be my son. And when he does wrong, I will punish him with a rod wielded by men, with floggings inflicted by human hands. But my love will never be taken away from him as I took it from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever. Before me, your throne will be 
established forever. This is our Jesus. This is our Jesus. David was the mightiest of men. He was a shepherd boy who was, who was humble and anointed king. He wasn't chosen by the people. He was anointed by God. But even the anointing of God was not enough to keep him just in his heart and just on his throne. And so he, he grew up in wisdom and in stature, not unlike Jesus, right? And he had these mighty men. How many of you guys read that, right? In Chronicles and other things, these daggum guys are just killing lions and bears and doing all this crazy stuff, right? And this is the promise. Oh, man, he's going to deliver us from our enemies. He killed Goliath. He chopped off Goliath's head, a lot like the, you know, the serpent killer is supposed to chop off the head of the serpent. There's this ideal that maybe David is going to be the one that can deliver us. But it says in the scriptures that when the, when the men went away for war, when all the other soldiers went away for war, he was upstairs on his roof on a high place. And it said about David that his roof, you know, that roof in Hebrew is actually, if you squinted at it and changed one of the letters, it actually is the same word for garden, that he wasn't unlike Adam either. And he stood up on his high place to look down at his temptation. And in his hour of weakness and in his hour, right, of trial, he didn't rule over the snake, the snake ruled over him. And even the greatest of these kings is saying on a perennial level, not just one bad Tuesday, that all kings have the snake wrapped around their heart except for Jesus, and therefore will always have injustice in their kingdoms without Jesus. And even David, the highest, the highest throne that, that Israel ever had, fell on that day. And he took Bathsheba for himself. He, they, he saw her, just like Adam and Eve saw the fruit. They, he took her, just like they took the fruit. And just like every other man and woman before him, he took her, um, used his authority for himself as opposed to giving justice to the nations, and then, you know, bribed and betrayed Uriah and had the husband killed to cover it up, and then, and then, <clears throat> and then she uh, had the baby with him. And so, so it's saying that every king, every king doesn't bring justice. And so this is where we are. This is where Jesus is coming into the scene as a, as a suffering servant, as the one who withdraws, as the one the crowds followed him, and he didn't chase them in order to get notoriety and publicity. He is a king that's not like David. And every other king we look to from Washington, right, to Biden, we look to for justice, but none of them can deliver it. And every, every authority, every coach, every father, every teacher, every mother, every, every authority cannot bring justice without Jesus. Justice is something that is brought from heaven and not from human authority. Justice is brought by something that can't be bought or sold by human hands. And so justice has to come from this, from this king, from Nazareth. And so the poem continues. He says this. He says, this type of a king, you won't recognize him because he doesn't quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. He's not like the other kings that draw attention to himself. He's not like the other kings that, that protest, that, that require the thrones of men to argue with them through articulation, through rhetoric. He's not like those types of kings that have to give these great speeches. He speaks and heaven moves. It's a different kind of king. He's not like the king that's up for re-election every four years. He's a different kind of king. And then it says, a bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. What does that mean? Is that he doesn't take kings, he doesn't take thrones by force. His, his little buddy Peter, right, got a little bit overanxious and chopped off a soldier's ear, got a little bit ahead of the game. And he says, he says, those that live by the sword will die by the sword. My kingdom's not built by swords, because kingdoms built by swords will be taken down by swords, but my kingdom's not of this, of this place. It's an eternal kingdom. It's the one that can give justice. And so it's a servant kingdom. It's a suffering kingdom. It's a kingdom that's anointed by the Spirit. It's a kingdom that doesn't protest or, or, or cry out. It's not built on rhetoric. It's not built on these types of human ideals. It's built on something so much more anointed and more powerful and enduring than that because every king that's sat on every throne has a snake and every throne that has the snake creates injustice in the land. Why would we go to those thrones and expect justice? We can't expect justice from thrones that don't have Jesus on them. 
So a bruised reed, it will not break. A smoldering wick, he will not snuff out until he's brought to justice to victory. In his name, in his name alone, in his name will the children in this service and the children that are you know, going to get baptized and the children that are gathered here and for myself, we, we will only find justice. We will only find justice uh, in, in Jesus. And so he goes on and he has this little interaction, which I think is a bit of a sermon illustration for what he's talking about and what Isaiah is talking about. He comes up in verse 22, and they bring him this demon-possessed man. He's crippled by evil. He's filled by evil. Just like every human heart, when we're born, we're all crippled and imprisoned by evil. We don't just have a problem with evil. We have a prison of evil. We have evil above us. We have evil around us. We have evil inside of us. And we need a prophet and a priesthood of king that doesn't just help us with evil or give us a better word or make us feel comfortable. We need a Messiah that can break us out of the prison of evil. This is who Jesus is. This is his job description that he's come to be about. And so this demon-possessed man gets put in front of Jesus. What will Jesus do? Is he going to talk to him, give him a Bible lesson, give him to sign up for something, make him part of his campaign? He says Jesus heals him so that he could talk and see what no other kingdom could do for him. He healed him so that he could talk and see. All the people were astonished and said, could this be the son of David? Could this be the one from 2 Samuel 7? Is this the one who could sit on the throne in perpetuity? But when the Pharisees heard this, they said, it is only Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. I love Jesus here. He gives a little bit of a rubber glue speech. Remember that? How's that go? I'm rubber and you're glue and anything you say bounces off me and what sticks to you, right? So he gives him a little bit of this ad hominem kind of little jab here, right? And, and what he's basically going to say is, so what you're telling me is, you just brought me a person full of the content of evil. This person is blind and deaf and overcome by the prison of evil. And I touched him and he is delivered of every single evil that he has ever had since he's been born and you want to call me a demon, okay? So this is what it is, right? So if there's, let's just do the logic. I took a class in logic. This is my mom, by the way. Everybody say hi to my mom back there. <clears throat> Marsha. I, I took a class in logic. If a person is able to touch somebody filled with a demon and the demon comes out of them, this is just a question of rhetoric, right? What does that make him? Okay, if we're in a, at least in a black and white world and there's no gray, and a person touches a person full of evil, and the evil is extradited immediately, it says something about the person that touched him. This is at least the point that he's trying to make, right? Then he goes on before that, just to play defense, plays a little offense on him. And so if a person touches a person with evil and casts out evil out of them, and that person is, whoever that is that fill in the blank, is, is probably the opposite of that, then what does that make the person that calls the person that cast the demon out? What does that make them that calls the demon caster a demon? It's kind of a bit of a rough argument, right? If I cast out a demon and you call me evil, what does that make you? This is about to be the argument that he makes. So he sees this. In verse 25, Jesus knew their thoughts. He says to them, every kingdom that's divided against itself will be ruined. And every city or household divided against itself will not stand. If Satan drives out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then can his kingdom stand? And if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your people drive them out? So then... They will be your judges. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I drive out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or again, how can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up a strong man? And then he can plunder his house. So I'm a U.S. history teacher. One of my favorite uh, times in U.S. history is the antebellum age. It's kind of a weird thing that I like, right? Okay. So uh, during that time, uh, and even before that, there are two big uh, Christian movements in the country called the First and Second Great Awakening. And they're really important. One's in the 1790s, the other one's in the 1830s, and they're incredibly important for our nation's history 
because they are beginning of abolitionism, school reform, prison reform, hospitals, schools. I mean, anything that is, you know, you would look upon, you know, and even the hardenest criminal would have to say, you know, that some of these characters who helped out the poor and the needy in our country all stem out of this thing called the Second Great Awakening. The abolitionist movement itself, which is the freedom of slaves in the 1850s and 60s, didn't start with Abraham Lincoln. It starts in the revivals that begin in the 1830s, both in the North and in the South. This is a place that is built, whether we like it or not, on Great Awakenings. And here's the thing about where we are in 2020 versus 2010 and 2000 is that, uh, you know, there was a time when when what was said in church and, and Bible and Ju- Christian Judeo cultures, for better or worse, took the center stage of our um, societal politics. Okay, but that's not it anymore. That's no longer the case. Uh, now, uh, not only is it not you know um, highly acceptable as as the as the norm within society to be you know Christian, is that the case anymore? Now it is somewhat demonized to become a Christian, almost in 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 so far as it's not only a moral thing, it's an immoral thing in certain circles to be a Christian to believe that, um, that there is a God, to believe that there is judgment, to believe that there is um, a need for a savior, to believe that there is a need for a gospel. This is, this is no longer popular, and I don't have to really speak to you or preach to the choir here in convincing you of this truth. Things from 10 years ago or 20 years ago are a lot different than, than, than not so long ago. And what Jesus would say to our situation in 2021 is, but look, who, like, but look who's talking. I hate to say that so brashly, but that's essentially what Jesus is saying. He's saying you have a situation where in Hollywood, and that's just one of the places within the world and society, which is just smitten with casting couches and abuse and sexual scandal and drugs and dysfunction, a society that is corrupt from the inside out, that has darkness inside it, around it, and above it, pointing to a movement that has pretty much done nothing except for, in America that is, except for you know, start churches and start abolitionist movement and prison reform and women's reform, the reason why women have the right to vote and have equality, the reason why we had temperance reform and why we have laws on drinking and drugs and so on and so forth. Most of all of this stuff when it comes to the moral and ethics of our society started from the altar of a revival, not from the pundit of a politic or from the speech of a campaign person. It started in the hearts of men and women like you and me. And so Jesus would say to them, How can, you call, how can you call somebody that casts out demon a demon? That is, that is a house divided. He would point to the human institutions and the human kingdoms of our world and point that it a division, just like David, just like Saul, just like Samuel, just like all of the other, Hezekiah, all the other kings, is that the divided heart is just like Beelzebub. It is, it is the heart uh, that, that is not founded on true righteousness, that is not founded on true light. And so just as an aside, as we kind of uh, come to the close here, I just thought it would be important to read to us uh, at a time like this, um, in, in, in the chapter, in John, um, in the Gospel of John, Jesus would say it like this, as we reckon with the idea of a justiceless nation and then a world that points to the church as the reason or the cause or the problem with what the world is. This is what John, the Apostle John says, or Jesus says through the Apostle John. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. There's no such thing as a popular Christian movement. There's no such thing as an everybody likes me Christian movement. It just does not exist. Verse 21, they will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. 
But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father as well. If I had not done among you the works no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. As it is, they have seen, and yet they have hated both me and my father. But this is to fulfill what is written in their law. They have hated me with no reason. This is the nature of human kingdoms, that human kingdoms don't just want to participate with heavenly kingdoms. They don't want to look for human king, or heavenly kingdoms. Human kingdoms don't create heavenly kingdoms on their own. Human kingdoms attack and run from heavenly kingdoms. Whether it be Cain and Abel, whether it be Esau and Jacob, whether it be David and Saul, whether it be Jesus, whether it be Paul and the church, human kingdoms don't come to play nice with heavenly kingdoms. They come to get rid of heavenly kingdoms. And anywhere that they are, not only do human kingdoms not recognize, they try to extradite heavenly kingdoms wherever they are. And as it says in the law, verse 25, for it is to fulfill, not to be an exception to the norm, but to be the fulfillment of the law. The law says this, they will hate you for no reason. This is Jesus, the one that only loved children, the one that only healed the sick and the blind, the one that only gave justice to the nations. How is it that the king that, that didn't sin, the only one that didn't have the snake around his, his, his heart, gets called Beelzebub, except for the fact that it was written from the beginning of time as a prophecy, right? And so this is Jesus, the one who has come to rescue and save those that hate him, the one that comes to save and heal the, ones, the people uh, that reject him. This is our king. This is the one that we look to. And Jesus says it this way as he closes up the sermon. When an impure spirit comes out of a person, it goes through to arid places seeking rest and does not find it. And then he says, I will return to the house I left it. If it wasn't George Washington on the throne, it'd be Mao Zedong, right? If it wasn't Mao Zedong, it'd be Kanye West. If it wasn't Kanye West, it'd be Arnold Schwarzenegger. Pick the person you want on the throne. Anyone that's on the throne other than Jesus, there will be no justice. And he's like, human beings, we cycle out our leaders thinking that we're going to find justice in some other leader. But the leaders don't have justice because they don't have justice in their heart. They've got idols inside of their heart. And any heart that has an idol can only create injustice in their land. And so they return to the house. The demons will just go ahead and populate again. Verse 45, then it goes and takes with it seven more spirits more wicked than itself. And they go in and live there. And the final condition of the person is worse than the first because they're disillusioned and they're broken and they're and, and, and they're burned by church, and they're burned by leaders, and they're burned by their dad because they continue to put up this next person that's going to be the Messiah looking for the one that only Jesus could bring. And so the spirits, right, they come in and they come out, and just as soon as you raise up one person, that throne will fall, whether they fall it on, their, on themselves or we go ahead and tear it down because we like to build thrones and then tear them afterwards, but there's no king that can bring justice other than Jesus. And so I just want to ask you this question as we read our Palm, scripture, Palm Sunday scripture this morning, who is your king? And where do you turn for injustice? I mean, you're not Chinese maybe, right? But you might not be very good looking. I don't know. Right? You might have bad teeth. Uh, you know, you, you might have been picked on at school. You might have been abused. There is injustice in the land. You read the scriptures, it's pretty hard to miss the fact that it will be until Jesus completely sits on his throne in a new heaven and new earth. We will have injustice in the land. It will be micro injustice and macro injustice, systemic and individual injustice, you will not be treated the way that Jesus, was, Jesus created you to be treated, and you will not treat others the way that you were created to treat others. There is injustice in the land until Jesus is sitting there. And we cannot expect uh, justice from any other throne. And so the question becomes, who is our king? When we, when, we, uh, when we sit under unjust rulers, and they do not deliver justice the way that they're supposed to, whether they're our, our spouses, our husbands, our dads, our moms, our bosses, you know? When we sit under people that are unjust, how do we respond and where do we turn for our justice? When we sit next to somebody who practices injustice uh, with, with their uh, sphere of influence, how do we respond to injustice beside us? How do we respond to the injustice that continually pours out of us? 
when we make the same mistakes and sins like David, when we have the snake wrapped around our heart and we follow the image of the snake rather than the image of Jesus, how do we respond to injustice and which throne will we turn to? Will we turn to the throne of quarreling, uh, of, 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 of lashing out, of violence? Will we turn to the human thrones or will we turn to this one? This is what Palm Sunday is all about. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you and at once you will find a donkey. This is our king is the servant king, the anointed king, the Holy Spirit king, and he's going to find this donkey, the lowliest of animals that he's going to ride in. This is not a procession of inauguration with CNN and Fox and all these other newscasters. This is a, this is a, a, a quaint and quiet king that moves in, and it says in Psalm 2 that, that children will prophesy. He says, don't quiet the children because they're going to scream out and cry out Hosanna, just like is, is pointed at in this scene. It's not going to be based on Twitter and Instagram. It's going to be by the children of faith that raise him up, and he's seated on the praises of his people. And they're going to cry out to him, and they're going to recognize him, even though he doesn't look like a king and wear a suit, and even though he's not slick and have a speech, he's going to be quiet, and he's not going to bruise a, a, a reed, and he's not going to, and he's not going to um, shout out in the streets. He's going to ride in quietly on a donkey, and if you're his child, you'll know him. If you're his child, you'll see him everywhere you go. This is the one that comes in on the donkey. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say the Lord needs them and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken to the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes uh, to you, gentle and riding on a donkey. And on a colt and a foal of a donkey, the disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road. No limousine, no chariot, cloaks and a donkey, palm branches while others were uh, cut branches from the trees and spread them out on the road. And the crowd that went ahead of him and those who followed him shouted, Hosanna, son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? The crowds answered, this is Jesus. This is our Messiah, the prophet from Nazareth. So I don't know where you are today when it comes to the power structures of authority. Based on the cards in your hand, you may be higher than you think. You have a lot of cards in your hand. I mean, you live in America, for one, right? So we're like, what, the top 1% of the world? That comes with a responsibility. That comes with a privilege. It comes with uh, implications when it comes to following the suffering servant. No matter how old we are and how many cards we are, there's always some Brad and Angelina that's going to be better than us, and probably they're going to use their power against us rather than to operate in the kingdom of heaven. We probably have a couple people that are beside us, you know, that operate in justice and doing ministry um, enough, you know, like even let's just say men and women, you know, I know they're in this room, there are wives that are, that are praying that uh, somebody will, will speak to their husband and encourage their husband so they might see, see more justice in their home, right? Justice isn't just for thrones and politics and big esoteric lofty things, justice is for households. And there, there's injustice in our households in some cases. And there are, are, are women that are, they're praying for that one husband would come and speak to another husband and ask them how they're doing that they might, they might follow the servant king as opposed to the snake king, the, the evil one, right? And, 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 so, and, 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 then there's, and then there's also, we're recognizing as we think about it, those that are, that are answering up to us, the ones that we have authority over, you know? If you're 25 and above, you, you have people that look to you and, and you represent authority to. And Jesus is saying that the only place that there is actual justice that can feed the children is, is, is the throne from heaven. The thing that bothers me about politics is that oftentimes it's not really about people, it's just about power. It's about publicity, it's about getting your name in lights, and the minute that that person, that person's injustice, which is real and is painful and is a name that is in a newspaper with an age next to it, the minute that that person does not help you collect your political agenda, you cease working to give them justice. 
But Jesus is the only one that gives justice to the land forever. And he's the only one that we can trust to, to feed children. There's people downstairs, you know, right now. You ask, how would we participate in a kingdom like this? It would be to follow in the king's example. It's to serve as a, as a suffering servant and to know that the kingdom of heaven doesn't advance by talk, but by power and by serving and by suffering. There is no kingdom advancement without serving and suffering. And anyone that tells you otherwise is a politician. And the kingdom is advancing right now under our feet because there are people that are serving in their Sunday morning, loving children. And we're going to baptize people in just a moment because there are people that out of the spotlight and didn't need a publicity stunt and didn't need a brand to answer to, just loved because Jesus loved them. And Jesus says, that's where the justice movement is. It's not in the hashtag. It's not in the color scheme. It's not in some great hype that humans want to do and lift up human kingdoms. It's not in some athlete. It's not in some celebrity that can come to Christ and give a big wowing speech that causes it all to happen. It's from little children like you and me that suffer and serve the way that Jesus did. That's the only way that the kingdom advances. And so who is it that he's called you to to put your phone down towards, to talk as a human being? Because here's the reality. Politics will tell you that everything's divided and nobody likes each other, but I don't know if you've experienced this. It's not as divided as we think. And 80% of people would be open to deep spiritual conversations if you wanted to speak with them and deeply need care. They don't need advice and rhetoric. They need care and pastoring and prayer. But 80% of people would be open to a spiritual conversation. 60% of people would be open to be, being invited into uh, a church setting or into you know, a gospel environment. And so the spirit of the age will always lift up the benefers, right? And they'll always lift up these idols and they will cause to divide us over the Tower of Babel because of the idols and injustice within the land, but only Jesus can bring the justice that we need. And so we should turn to him and call on him often. This is what the scripture says as I'll close, and I'll invite the band to come, come forward. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Amen. Why don't you guys stand with me as, as um, we get ready for worship. Ashley's going to come forward and give a quick logistical announcement as far as um, baptisms go. Um, but uh, uh, there is there's, uh, much to be done. And, and um, as we've been and looking at the scriptures this morning, there, there is evil around and above uh, and inside of us often. But... Um, but today we're celebrating the opposite kingdom. Today we're celebrating the kingdom of light, the one that touches people and delivers them from evil permanently, not in just temporarily. And so um, anyways, let's just pray. And so Father, I thank you for the little children uh, that are gathered today in your house, uh, both in terms of birth certificate, but also just in terms of heavenly rights and kingdom. And I thank you, Lord, that um, you have not let one fall through your hands. I thank you, Lord, that what you have promised you will deliver and you are a king unlike any other authority or kingdom ever seen. And so, Lord, I just pray that you would make us aware and unsatisfied with human hype and all the exciting things that come with, um, with the world that, pro uh, that promises us brands, that promises us other thrones that are based on um, just political identities. And we just we release our hope for those things. We know that you're the only one that can deliver the land. We know that the battle is the Lord, so we trust in you to deliver us from evil. You told us to pray the Father's prayer like a child, that you would deliver us from evil. And so I just pray, just as we close, in a supernatural way, that you would just cleanse us 
inside and outside from our enemies, Lord Jesus. You told Joshua as he approached that the battle is yours. And Lord, that you are the one to extradite evil. And I just thank you that you are the one that delivers us from our enemies. And so I pray that you would convict us of sin. I pray that you would lead us not into temptation. And I pray that you would cause us to love our enemies the way that you have loved us. I ask that your kingdom would come in the lives of those that are uh, being baptized today. And I ask that um, you would show us the way to follow you as our king. In Jesus' name, everybody said. Thanks again for joining us. If you have been encouraged or challenged by this message, please give us feedback by leaving a comment on this podcast. For more information on our church, visit us at www.citylights.cc.